With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be breaking down all of Sunday's Week 7 action starting with the matchup of the week, the Sunday night football game between the Eagles and the Dolphins. And Logan, you and I have been talking about how despite Entering last week undefeated, coming into this game with a 5-1 and one record, and coming off of last year's Super Bowl run, we've been waiting for that dominant, complete Eagles performance like we were accustomed to last year. They've been scraping by a bit, playing down a competition. This one, they win by two touchdowns against a team that a lot of people view as a contender. How much did this win affirm your faith, restore your faith in the Eagles? I didn't have to have my faith restored in the Eagles. You're exactly right. We had been waiting for this dominant victory against a good football team, a legitimate contender for Philadelphia, a convincing victory. But I've never wavered in my confidence in the Eagles because they have such a good playoff formula. Mm-hmm. Carson, good playoff teams can run the hell out of the ball. They're strong in the trenches. They've got great talent all around the field, and they play great defense. And the Eagles check all of those boxes. On top of that, they have a game-changing quarterback in Jalen Hurts, and Hurts uh, plays a pretty good one in this one. He makes that one mistake where he throws that batted pick six, and he's got to clear that up because, again, in an Mm -hmm. ideal football situation like that, when you can be entrusted to just go out and manage games, which is effectively Hurts' job. I mean, it's the job of every quarterback, right? But Hurts is in such a good situation. He doesn't have to go out and try to be Superman, like a Josh Allen, like a Justin Herbert. Guys in these abysmal situations where they have to go above and beyond to carry their teams to victories, Hurts isn't in that case. And he makes one mistake in this game where it's an RPO play. He should have handed the ball off to the running back first and foremost. He doesn't. He takes it back out and goes to throw, and the corner... I mean, what are you doing, Jalen? Just go down. I mean, try to run. He tries to force a ball literally in, but I've never seen that, Carson. In between <laughs> the defender's hands, of course, he gets batted and picked. That's really the only uh, bad play that Hurts has. And again, 
Best offensive line in football, the best pass rush in football, great corners, great secondary, great guys in the middle of the field, and they're strong in the trenches. I mean, it is a playoff recipe that is tried and true. So I, at this point, Carson, if Hurts can clean up on his turnovers, uh, get closer to playing mistake-free football, mm-hmm. I have no questions about the Eagles. This affirms it a little more for me, but I never hopped off the bandwagon. I never wavered my confidence in the Eagles. I still think they're number two behind the 49ers. I slightly prefer them, but they're one and two for me right now in the in all of the NFL. I think that Philly is definitely a top three team in football. I came into this season thinking they were going to be my Super Bowl champion, thinking that they were not only the most talented team in the league, but that they also had that difference maker in that elite quarterback play from Jalen Hurts. And we talked a bit about his regression earlier in the week about how perhaps he was having to make an adjustment having lost Shane Steichen. He was taking longer to make decisions with the football, much longer time to throw versus last year. He was making worse decisions with the football, many more turnovers compared to last year. He had six picks in all of last season. He's already got eight through just seven weeks this year. And yes, He did have the one really bad moment. I still thought he was taking a little bit longer to throw and had to rely a bit more on his athleticism with some of the scrambles, but for the most part, did play a good, composed, clean game. Had that beautiful big-time throw to A.J. Brown with the pressure bearing down on him, 42-yard gain. That's the big-time stuff that you get from him at his best. It's the game-managing stuff, and then it's the special athletic moments. And, of course, he came up with multiple big-time brotherly shove conversions in this one, extending that last drive. So, it was an improved Hurts game. I want to see sustained improvement. I want to see him get back up to that level he was at last year where we felt like, all right, this is a top-five quarterback. To me, he hasn't earned being in those conversations this year just based on his play within this season. But... The Eagles are just a better all-around football team. They were way better at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and we know this is the best O-line, D-line combination in football. They are very arguably number one on both sides of the ball, and as you said, that translates to any stage of football. That is going to give you as reliable a formula to success as there is, and then they do have the elite athletes on the perimeter. You have the special athletic plays from A.J. Brown. You have some of the unbelievable catches from Devontae Smith. Goddard had a good game making plays in space. Defensively, I thought the DBs really battened down the hatches in that second half. I thought that they did a great job of playing physically with Tyreek. I thought they did a good job of taking away the super explosive stuff with those two high safeties looks. And most importantly... They were getting after Tua, and they were applying a level of pressure to him that he hasn't really seen all that much this season because guys are getting open so fast normally. His timing and anticipation is so good. The Eagles were the rare team that was able to really disrupt his rhythm, and that front was so good that they shut down the run game. So it was just a stellar, stellar defensive performance. And this is the vision for this team. They're dominating the line of scrimmages. Then they have those special talents on the perimeter too. And when they're humming, they are just exceedingly difficult to stop. Yeah, 100%, Carson. I think you make a great point there with Tua. Uh, There is something I I, want to hammer home about the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are going to be better as this season goes along. They're really beat up right now. Uh, They mentioned this on the broadcast. They're missing three offensive linemen. They're missing linebackers. They're missing defensive backs. So I think we're going to see a healthier and better Dolphins team moving forward. But you make such a great point with Tua. Tua is unique in the sense that he can be disrupted like this. I'm not saying that... 
the Eagles are going to disrupt any quarterback they play against because they have such a dominant front four. They have such a great pass rush. Any quarterback is going to be under duress playing the Philadelphia Eagles. That's obvious. But it's unique to Tua because Tua struggles so much to make plays out of structure, right? When Tua is on time and can anticipate those throws and can be perfect with his timing, you see it on that final drive of the first half, Carson, where him and Tyreek are just in sync. Bang, bang, Mm -hmm. bang. He's getting the ball out quick. They're right on time with their routes, and Tyreek has a ton of space after the catch to go and make plays. That's the formula. But you see that play where they're out of rhythm. Tyreek runs his route, and the ball isn't out perfectly. And... uh, Tua backpedals a little bit, has to extend the play to avoid some pressure, and he throws that rainbow. Tyreek is open right there. Tyreek is open for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And quarterbacks with elite arms, Allen, Herbert, Mahomes, Lawrence, right, they can javelin that ball in there and rocket it in there. That's the kind of velocity that you need to put on that ball. But Tua sees that he's open and he tries to make that throw, and it just lingers in the air for a little too long, and you could see it coming. It's like, man, that's... You know, it almost looked like a like a pooch punt. You know what I mean? It just hung up there a little too long, and you see Slay come in there. Great anticipation breaks on that ball. I love Tua. I think he is a really good quarterback. I think he is top 10 to fringe top 10 at his best. He's got great anticipation. He's got great timing, and he's a great thrower of the football in rhythm. But he is unique in the sense that you can disrupt his rhythm and timing, and that throws off all of the offense. He's not going to extend a whole lot of plays with his feet. He doesn't have a rocket arm where he can make these throws at all these different angles and on the run and under pressure. It's just a reality of the situation. I'm not trying to be mean to Tua. I'm not trying to be overly critical. It is just a reality of Tua as a quarterback. Within structure, within rhythm, he's as good as they come. But when you can disrupt him and disrupt the timing of this offense, like you mentioned, with press coverage and playing physical on Tyreek and Waddle or getting that pressure home, it just is a little more noticeable with this offense than others, and they're a little more limited in that respect. This is... You know, I don't want to diminish anything that the Dolphins have accomplished, but they're a little more susceptible to being disrupted by those guys. They just can't create out of structure like other great QBs and other great offenses. I think that that's an inarguable point, and we have seen that pattern repeatedly. When Tua is taken out of rhythm, he struggles, and he is a guy who is excellent in terms of his anticipation, his timing, his accuracy to his first read. He is also overwhelmingly reliant on his first read. He throws to that first read 74% of the time. That is an obscenely high number. That's higher than somebody like Brock Purdy, who you think is in a very similar role. It's slightly higher, but compared to the elite creators, Patrick Mahomes, 60% of the time, he throws to his first read. Josh Allen, 55%. When you are able to extend the amount of time that it takes for those guys to get open and then generate pressure... Tua is going to regress and he's going to make mistakes. And every time we have seen the Dolphins face a legitimately good defense this year, if it was the Pats, if it was the Bills, if it was the Eagles, not only has their offensive production been normal, they've had good moments. They've had drives where they march the football down the field and they look great, but they haven't been able to do that consistently like they have against some of the bad defenses who they've really beat up on. And Tua has had that back-breaking mistake at one point or another. It was a bad overthrow against the Pats, against the Bills. He had multiple turnover-worthy plays. We see the underthrow in this one. And so I just need to see more from this offense against great competition to knight them, 
to pronounce that they are the best offense in the league and they're a top-tier contender because I'm just not ready to say that. 24 on New England, 20 on Buffalo, 10 points offensively in this game against Philly. And as we talked about last time, I mean, they have beaten up on, I believe, four of the bottom five defenses in terms of scoring in football. So when you combine that with the fact that this defense just is not good and has not given us any reason to believe that it's good. Yes, this team is banged up. Yes, maybe the dynamics change when they get Jalen Ramsey, but coming into this game, they're the number 26 scoring defense. They could not get stops in this game. When it counted, they were dominated at the line of scrimmage. The Dolphins are a good football team. They're a really good offense, but up to this point, when we have seen them against competition that is on their talent level, they've sputtered. They've been disappointing. They've 100% been disappointing, Carson. I still think they're a contender, but I wouldn't I wouldn't crown them as the best offense in the league yet either. First of all, what an absurd stat about Tua. I mean, if that doesn't speak volumes about what he is as a quarterback and what he does well, I don't know what will. Like, that's absurd. I still think the Chiefs are in a different class just because of the floor that Mahomes gives them, the line play, and you still have Kelsey there. You know, if they didn't have Kelsey, maybe this is a conversation, but I think the Chiefs and are the in a different class. And the defense is in a different tier than the Dolphins. Yeah, Totally dude. different tier. This is the best defense I think the Chiefs have had in a, a while, man. So, look, I, I think the Dolphins are contenders. They're on my Super Bowl bubble. You know what I mean? They're they're on that edge. But, yeah, I want to see them do it against real football teams. And I think you saw it today. I mean, the Eagles are a bona fide Super Bowl contender, one of the three best teams in football. And I just don't think the Dolphins are there yet. Uh, yeah, it, it, it starts, I think, Carson, moreover with – defensively if the Dolphins can't slow down these teams yeah uh, there's a lot more pressure and a lot more weight on Tua to make big time plays I really think look man the Dolphins scoring 70 points in a game is absurd I really think that's what elevated them into these conversations to begin with and they did it against one of the worst teams in football like you said let's see it against high competition and then we can crown them but also, to your point, the concerns are definitely more about the defense. The offense for is sure, indisputably sure. very good. It's just a question of, is it best in the league? Is it top five? The defense really the defense has to prove us <laughs> that it's average. And you got to be, pretty much, if you want to be contending for the Super Bowl. And one thing that they really did struggle to do was get off the field in those short yardage situations, mm -hmm. third and especially fourth down. And that's the last thing I want to touch on in this game, just because I think it's an interesting conversation. There's that ongoing debate about if the brotherly shove should even be allowed. What's your take on that? Get big, get strong. Yeah, what do you yeah. mean? Draft well, Landon Dickerson, draft Jason Kelsey, draft the big boys and then get you that push up front. Don't get mad. Yeah. Football's a physical sport. I mean, what are we doing, man? It's it's cracked because they have good offensive linemen. Bad yeah. teams with bad old lines can't do that. Are, are you with me, dude? I think it's absurd to think that we should ban a play or something. I think if you're talking about it from a competitive standpoint, absolutely. It should be allowed. If the concern is injury, if you can demonstrate that there is a considerably higher injury risk, which would make some sense given the physicality of the play, given how many bodies are stacked on top of each other, then I can definitely see the argument. We want football to be as safe as can be. But I absolutely love how much they run it. I think whenever you have an opportunity to run a play with a 90 plus percent success rate, do it. And I loved them going for it on fourth and one at their own 25. I loved them going for it on the very next set of downs. 
again in their own territory because you don't want to put the ball back into the hands of this dynamic offense. And if you are going to convert this again at a 90 plus percent success rate, go for it. Don't play scared, Logan. I know you're big take the points guy, but if there is any exception to that, it has to be the single most effective, single most dominant play in football from a competitive standpoint. I do not have a problem with it. We do not see teams around the league replicating the success. It's sort of like banning the dunk in college basketball because of Kareem. Like that was viewed as a competitive thing. First of all, there were some other dumb arguments like it wasn't a skilled play, which by the way, people would say about the tush push. Health and safety was brought up as an issue with the dunk. That didn't really make any sense. It makes some more sense here. But bottom line, it's one player or one team is going to be able to do this much more effectively, much more consistently than others. But it's part of the game. It's fair play. And if they are able to show, hey, we can dominate with this play in a way that nobody else ever has before, then maybe they're just the outlier. And maybe they should be allowed to benefit from that, just like the Chiefs should be able to benefit from Patrick Mahomes' unprecedented arm. So, yes, from a competitive standpoint, I think absolutely I'm good with the brotherly shove. And this was a really good win for the Eagles. It was good to see them humming like this. I'm a big believer in their talent. And this was the best game that they've played this year. But you know who really let me down today, Logan? The Buffalo Bills really let me down today, and it's been three underwhelming performances in a row. They barely escaped in primetime last week from the New York football giants. They cannot escape from the Pats after digging themselves a hole in this one and then allowing just a back-breaking game-winning drive to none other than McCorkle Jones. <laughs> Where are you at with the Bills right now? Yeah, uh, you say they disappointed you. I mean, they've been one of the most disappointing teams in football all season long, Carson. This is a team that statistically... Uh, it's been a top five offense uh, and a top five defense, both sides of the ball. Right now, they're really slipping as an AFC contender for me, Carson. I think there's two teams atop the AFC heap. That's the Ravens. That's the Chiefs. Yep. And then there's everybody else. It's totally the Bengals, agree. Dolphins, Jaguars, Bills in that territory. And Allen and the Bills offense failed to find the rhythm again, man. The Patriots were really able to disrupt him in this game. He was under pressure on 41% of snaps. And... Jason Garrett mentioned this uh, when we were leading up to Sunday Night Football. 77% of the plays were dictated by Josh Allen, and that's a theme, right? Everybody's going to bag on Josh Allen after this game because he's the face of the Bills. I Thank you for making that face. Carson made the Grinch face right there, man. <laughs> it's Everybody's going to pin this on Josh, but it's, again, man, he has to play, he has to be Superman, right? Yeah. He can't be Superman every game. Uh, they can't really get the running game going. Uh, dominantly in this one. Uh, 23% of the snaps were not dictated by Josh Allen. That's just a huge weight to have on your shoulders. He's under duress all game. He's running behind the line of scrimmage. And we've seen this in the Bills. They've played down to their competition. It hasn't just been the last three weeks, Carson. It's been four weeks of football. Week one versus the Jets, and then, yeah, versus the Jags, versus the Giants, versus the Patriots. They can't figure it out. They've got 10 turnovers in those four games. Again, though, I just don't think Josh Allen can make up for all of the issues on this football team. The offensive line has not improved. They've been flat out bad. Ken Dorsey has not been great, Carson. You've mentioned all these things mm -hmm. leading up to these football games as major concerns to this team. The defense has taken a massive hit, losing all pros Matt Milano and Trey White. They really cannot cover over the middle. That was evident in this game. They couldn't stop the run. Everything in the middle of the field looked like it worked for New England. And for me... I think the biggest issue is something that you've been harping on since week one, Carson. The Bills have to find a number two receiver 
It is Allen. It is Diggs. There's no dynamism in this offense. It is just those two. You either have to get the running game going every game, set up to play action, or you have to find reliable number two for Josh Allen. Carson, real quick, I've got some names here for you. I want you to tell me, are you intrigued? And what potentially, if you are intrigued, would you give up to go out and get these wideouts? First guy, heavily rumored, Jerry Judy. What would they give up for Jerry Judy? I don't know. A third? A second? Something like that. But I think that that would be worth doing. Do you like Cortland Sutton? Okay, I guess we're just going to pillage the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be probably a similar package. But yes, adding talent to this receiving room, adding any legitimate talent is essential. Yeah, I mean, there's other guys that are rumored too. Terrace Marshall Jr., Hunter Renfro, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Devontae Adams potentially with the Raiders struggles. I mean, if you can go out and get one of those big-time guys, because we've seen guys get moved at the trade deadline before. If I'm Buffalo, I'm talking to the Raiders for Devontae. And what's the most you're willing to give up? Like, if you could get Devontae or DeAndre Hopkins, I think they're in a different tier at their stages in their career. If you could give up a second for DeAndre or if you could give up a first for Devontae, would you do that? D-Hop? I wouldn't be as sold on, but I mean, mm-hmm. if they could put to, uh, together a receiving tandem of Devontae and Diggs to meet two top five receivers, that'd be insane. But I don't think the Raiders are going to trade Devontae. They should. They're saying that they mm-hmm. won't. He's frustrated. They suck at football. Uh, they are just screwed. They should be trading the elite talents they have for future assets, but I don't think they're going to do it. And frankly, I don't see a splashy move coming for the Bills. Really? I don't. But... It's interesting to me that you key in on the offense in this game because they have had offensive issues, and this was another really slow start, and that makes three straight. They have 10 Mm -hmm. points in the first half over their last three weeks combined. That is inexcusable. You have the terrible opening interception from Josh (laughs) Allen, the first offensive play from scrimmage. There was no rhythm, nothing explosive. Josh was consistently under pressure, as he was for this entire game, but he found a way to overcome it. They got some more Mm quick-hitting stuff going on that first drive of the second half especially, and they started to hum there. But basically every issue that you laid out, yes, is real. Dorsey's not a super creative play caller. They are overwhelmingly reliant on digs. They don't have a good run game. A lot of those things were issues last year. A lot of those things, just in terms of how singularly reliant they are on Josh, have been true for the last several years. I mean, this is a one-man offense in the truest sense of the word. He has to do superhuman stuff every single week and play incredible football. But for the most part, he does. This is still comfortably the number three scoring offense in football. There's a gap between them and everybody else. This has been a top two scoring offense in football for three straight seasons, which nobody else has done. And yes, Dable was a better play caller. Some of the supporting weapons were better two years ago, but still last year, this was an elite, elite offense. This year, this has been a damn good offense. And if you scored 25 on the New England Patriots in any game before this, you would be 6-0. and If you scored 21 points on the New England Patriots in any game before this, you would be 6-0. and They got in a scoring position on all four of their second half drives. They scored three touchdowns. They have a missed field goal from Tyler Bass that makes them go for it on fourth down, that one drive that they didn't score on in the second half. And still, Josh put a ball where it needed to be for Dawson Knox. He just dropped it. So the offense wasn't its best. It was a slow start, but they did what they needed to do. And Josh especially did what he needed to do in the home stretch. I think the bigger problem 
is the defense here. The Pats coming into this game were averaging 12 points per game. That was 31st in football. They were averaging four and a half yards per play. That was 29th in football. In this game, they put up 29 points, 364 yards, 6.6 yards per play. And it's not just that they were getting after Josh on the other side of the ball where he was pressured on 41% of his snaps. That was the highest percentage of any game that he's played this year. And he had to overcome that and do what he does, carry an offense, make, make plays out of structure. It was also the Bills were not able to get pressure defensively. They didn't defend the run well. So this Pats offensive line that has been so maligned, that has been so bad up to this point on the year, all of a sudden looked pretty damn good. They were getting pretty damn good push against the Bills. That was discouraging. And then their tackling in space was horrible. 16 of Max. 25 completions in this game were inside of five yards and the Pats just kept making plays in space down to the opening play of that final drive where they just walk into 34 yards, multiple missed tackles by the Bills. It's just inexcusable and it is certainly inexcusable to let McCorkle Jones march down the field on you on the last drive of the game. It's just disheartening how far this team has fallen from where they were at three weeks ago when they kicked the Dolphins' ass when that offense was at its peak, but most importantly, when that defense was at full strength and that defense was balling. And we've talked about it a lot, but you cannot overstate the significance of the loss of Matt Milano, their best defensive player, one of the best coverage linebackers in football, a big-time playmaker who is going to pursue the ball ferociously, have a big impact in the run game, losing Trey White, one of the best corners in football, who had reached that level again, Losing Daquan Jones, who had been a stalwart on the interior, huge against the run. I mean, really, how do you recover from that? I just think we have seen a massive drop-off on that side of the ball. And Von Miller, Logan, who is now back, he's healthy, he's a couple weeks, is not playing meaningful snaps. And if you want to work him back into things, that's one thing. But he doesn't look good out there. And he was supposed to be the game-changing free agency signing before last year. They gave a six-year massive contract to a 33-year-old at that time, Edge. And it's not guaranteed after next year. So yeah, they're not actually locked into it for six years. But I mean, that was supposed to be the game-breaking talent who they added. And the pass rush around him has gotten so much better. The development of the young guys, of Rousseau, of Epinesa, of Ed Oliver, bringing in Leonard Floyd has been way more of an impact guy. He's actually been really good. Vaughn is doing nothing. And that is just a big miss. And the entire defense to me has just regressed too far. And the offense, although I don't look at it as the problem from this game, it's been too inconsistent two up and down. Josh, as good as he's been overall, he still has had a couple too many of those just boneheaded plays for them to be seen as real contenders. This is not a good football team right now. This is Josh Allen doing what he can to carry this team. And that's not a sustainable formula. This could have been one of the best team teams yet if that defense was at full strength. But right now, they just have too many glaring holes. I completely agree. There is separation between the Chiefs and the Ravens, and then the Bills are with the rest of that pack. Yeah, and sustainability is the exact key word, Carson. That's why, even though I agree with you, the offense wasn't the overwhelming issue today, I think you have to do something to lift some of this anvil-sized weight off of Josh Allen's shoulders. You know, you got to give him a game where he can beat Clark Kent, man. You have to give him something, and... Defensively, Von Miller has been underwhelming. I haven't heard his name called. You know what I mean? In, in three weeks of football, 
I think moreover, I think the biggest issue is going to be on the inside, uh, the inside linebackers. I don't know, man. I, there's a lot of issues, obviously. When you lose two all-pro talents, you can't replace Trey White. You can't replace Matt Milano. Those aren't guys that you can just plug in players there and keep going. Uh, the inside linebacker play was abysmal today, and I think that is the, the biggest concern for me about Buffalo's defense, just covering over the middle and stopping the run. Uh, I don't know, man. I think they have to make a move at the deadline if they want to be contenders. I don't really... Not that they're not real contenders. The Bills are. I mean, they're in that second tier for me. I wouldn't pick them. I think they have to do something at the deadline. If it's going out and getting a linebacker, a corner, a wideout, I think they need something to... I don't know, man. Add a little fire to this locker room. Get them fired up about the rest of this season. They do. They're just not talented enough right now. And to people who might shrug at the Suttons and the Judys of the world. Yeah, of course, those guys aren't number ones. They aren't top 30 receivers in football. But I legitimately think that they are both much more reliable on a down-to-down basis than a guy like Gabe Davis, who, again, I think has become pretty overrated because of a massive playoff game and because he plays with Josh Allen, which is going to inflate his production. He's not a good all-around receiver. He's just not a good possession guy. His hands aren't good. Knocks his hands aren't great. Like... Josh is just let down by the entirety of this team too often and, this year. Mm-hmm. And Dalton Kincaid played a good yes, game too, but it's like, that's your number two? You know, like, Kincaid's a good starting tight end, but he's not your guy you want to have to rely on down in, down out if Diggs is covered. You know, they need they need just a little more kick, man. Oh, they absolutely do. I think that they need more high-end speed. They need more legitimately good receivers. Kincaid did play really well today. But this was his first legit good game. James Cook was really good in the receiving game. He's been one of the better receiving targets in this offense. You just don't want to be relying on a tight end and a running back as two of your top three targets in any given game. So the Bills are not contenders right now. They're just not. And I don't see the path to it with three massive season-ending losses on that defense and holes on this offense. They're still going to be a really, really good offense because they have Josh Allen and because they have Stephon Diggs and just the strength of that connection. And James Cook is the best running back they've had. I'm not waving the white flag at all about this offense. They have some things to work out. They're still going to be really good there. I'm much more worried about the defense taking a really, really major step back. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code NERDS only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's talk about another one of the uh, premier matchups of the week that ended up in a surprising result. Maybe not in terms of the winner, but in terms of the margin. The Ravens just 
beat the life out of the Detroit Lions, Logan. Who did this game say more about to you? Ravens for sure. Uh, Detroit without David Montgomery in this game, I think it speaks volumes about how reliant uh, Detroit is on that running in between the tackles. Jameer Gibbs had a good game in this one. Well, two things. One, I think they need Montgomery to be healthy. But two, I don't think the Lions are built to, to fight back from deficits like this. They need to have mm-hmm. close marginal games where they can burn the clock. I, I like Jared Goff. Jared Goff has played good this season. I don't think this team is engineered to come back from massive deficits. And the Ravens came out, man. And you're right. They kicked them in the teeth, dude. Down there. The yeah. rope. First four drives, they score TDs on all of them. And this is what I've been saying for weeks. This is why I had Baltimore. Carson, we praised Baltimore all season long. It has felt like the Ravens have had another offensive gear to kick into, that they are just mm-hmm. not firing at, on all cylinders. Wideouts dropping passes. They're out of sync. They're out of rhythm. And I felt through the beginning of the season that Lamar had begun, uh, slowly begun uh, – to become somewhat underrated. He's super impressive in this game. Yeah. I think it's maybe the best passing game that I've ever seen from Lamar. The way he stayed in the pocket on some of these throws, man, with stuff collapsing around him, and yeah. he wasn't, all right, I'm going to run. I'm just going to run. He stayed in there, and he made a lot of big-time throws in this game. Mark Andrews was seemingly open every single play. I thought the Ravens' offensive line, that's one of the biggest uh, – one of the things I was most impressed with with the Ravens in this game, Detroit has one of the best defensive and offensive lines in football. It didn't matter. The Ravens dominated them at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. They protected the hell out of Lamar. They ran the ball well. And the Ravens just rolled. And this is the game that we've been waiting for, right? Baltimore has given us yes. a, a reputation to build on where they just have three to four of these games a year where they beat the brakes out of whoever they play. And if they can reach this ceiling come playoff time, I mean, yes, I they they can they can make some noise, it, and that's been the whole man is this passing game is what's let them down. Uh, yeah, I was just really impressed with Baltimore top to bottom offense and defense, and especially Lamar Jackson. Again, what has failed Lamar in the playoffs? What has failed Baltimore in the playoffs? When they need to come from behind and win games, when they need to have these long sustained drives, when they need Lamar to throw the ball because teams can game plan around his legs. You can't game plan for Lamar if he's going to dissect you like this and make throws. Uh, the Baltimore is concretely number two to me, Carson. You tweeted that out uh, during this football game. I'm 100% with you, dude. With all the question marks surrounding other AFC contenders, the Bills' defense, the Bengals' totality, with Burrow inconsistency in their defense, with, uh, I mean, those are really the teams at the top. With the Dolphins' defense, I, I think the Baltimore Ravens have separated themselves as the second yeah. team, and that's how I felt. We just have yet to see it because the offense uh, hadn't shown it to us yet. Uh, the Ravens aren't going to do this every week, obviously, but to do it against a team that I think is a legitimate Super Bowl contender in Detroit, uh, and to do it the way they did with Lamar carving them through the air, uh, yeah, I think they're number two, dude, and uh, I would not be surprised if uh, we see the Chiefs and the Ravens in the AFC title game. They, they just seem like... You know, the, the Niners and the Eagles in the NFC, they seem like they have separated themselves as the top two out in the AFC. I absolutely agree, and I am also totally with you. This game showed us more about the Ravens, and this was like the realization of the offseason vision and of what we've been waiting for. 
everything was primed for Lamar to have his best season as a pure passer. Todd Munkin making him being a drop back pocket passer more of an emphasis than having the best collection of weapons of his career, drafting Zay Flowers, adding Odell, a really solid unit in terms of depth as well. And now we've seen it. This was the game. The Ravens have been a good football team through six weeks. They easily could be 6-0, as we yeah, talked about. Bro. A couple of weird self-inflicted losses. 7-0 now, 6-0 coming into this game. But this was when they started humming. And we've become so accustomed to those like dominant Ravens regular season victories where the defense is just shutting down the opposition and Lamar is having a field day. But in terms of the pure passing brilliance... I think that this was as good as he's ever been. And this is, up to this point, the best passing season of his career. He's averaging the most yards per attempt of his career at 8.1, more than his MVP season. He's averaging the second most passing yards per game, 230. His 71% completion rate is by far the highest of his career. And this game was everything you want. It was that perfect blend of extending plays with his unique athleticism while keeping his eyes downfield, while continuing to be a passer, and then making those big-time throws and doing so from a variety of arm angles. I mean, the number of deliveries we saw in this game was so impressive. You have some creative play calling, that read option early. It appeared to be into the nice little completion to Odell for a conversion, but he was just picking apart every part of the field, hitting a number of different receivers over the middle, the sidelines. He was so accurate. His touch, his placement, his timing, it was all just money he was scrambling when necessary I thought this was as impressive a game from a quarterback as we've seen all year and Lamar's top five I feel foolish for saying that he was outside of that coming into this year he is first of all easily one of the top three one-man offenses when we're talking about carrying with his passing and rushing ability it's just him Mahomes and Josh in that tier but I mean he has been taking care of the football through the air he has been accurate more so than we've ever seen i just can't put other guys who are in more privileged situations and still aren't producing at the level that he is and whose pure talent is not on the level of lamar i think he's stamped as top five right now so do i and i wanted to ask you about that would you take and this is a one game scenario this isn't for the future would you rather have right now trevor lawrence or lamar jackson lamar would you rather definitely lamar i'm with you would you rather have herbert or lamar that's tough. Man, I would take Herbert. I know that he had another underwhelming game today, and last week was legitimately one of the worst we've seen him play, but I still think such a special arm talent. Generally very good at limiting mistakes, apparently, except for when it's in the fourth quarter and he's under duress and things just go south because he plays for the Chargers. But that's close right now. It's very That's close. legitimately close. It's close between Herbert and Lamar. It's close between Burrow mm-hmm. and Lamar. He's firmly in that tier. And, you know, he's made more mistakes than normal over the last couple years. He's had more injuries. He's been playing in really suboptimal situations offensively. So it felt like he was sort of bumped into just a little bit of a tier below that, even after having this remarkable start to his career with the MVP season. But he is definitely right back in the thick of those conversations. But the other part of the equation making the Ravens so damn good was the defense. We talked about This is a top five defense. You said they were a top two defense to you just earlier this week. Certainly one of the most loaded all-around defenses in football. 
And they got a lot of pressure in this game with the five sacks. And the front is not the strength of this unit necessarily, but they were able to get a lot of pressure. And they put the lines in such a hole that, like you said, I mean, they didn't have Montgomery, but they didn't have a chance to establish the run. Jared Goff has to throw 55 times in this game because they're in comeback mode the entire time. And although they didn't shut down this Lions offense for the entire game, they start playing some softer coverage. The Lions are able to move the ball a bit more. They made timely plays. They held Detroit to 7 of 22 on third and fourth downs combined, so they got them off the field when it mattered most. This is a team that is in a different tier than everybody other than Kansas City in the AFC. I feel pretty strongly about that right now. For the Lions, does anything concern you from this game? Not really. I mean, I guess... You know, we wanted to, I wanted to at least, I wanted to praise Jared Goff for what he did last week and how great of a game he did. And he played, I mean, it's one of the best games Mm -hmm. I've ever seen Jared Goff play, considering the circumstances. You know, they couldn't get the running game going. It was him converting on third down every time, making big throws. That's the one concern, you know, is in a game like this, there is a lack of that dimension to the offense where they have weapons, right? Naman Ross St. Brown, Jamison Williams, Sam Laporta, big play threats. The Lions, I feel like, have to have to establish the run to set it all up for Jared. Mm-hmm. Um, or just play in a tighter game. Like I said, I, I don't know if Goff is, is the guy that can lead back. And there's only a few quarterbacks like that. I don't want to make that a big knock on Goff. Mahomes, Allen, right? Those are the guys that are engineered to score points really, really quick, rapidly off these huge plays. Goff isn't that kind of guy. And to win games like that, I feel like that's who would have needed to be on the other side of that equation. Mm-hmm. So uh, this isn't a knock on golf or anything. You're just you're not going to win a game when you're, yeah, golf. Go out there and throw the ball over 50 times. We're going to put the you know offense just in your hands. Yeah. It really it was surprising to me that the Lions got dominated this way at the line of scrimmage. That's the one thing that surprised me. Detroit mm-hmm. to me was is top five in the trenches on both sides of the football. That's the one concern that I have where I, I did not expect that to happen to Detroit, and that's why I thought this was going to be a tight game. Both of these teams really strong in the trenches. The Lions really got dominated there. But without Montgomery, I don't know. There's not a really big takeaway. I know, again, you get beat by 32 points, it's demoralizing. But I'm not ready to write the Lions off completely or anything like that. No. Uh, The Lions are still number three in the NFC to me right now. We'll see what the Cowboys can do next week. Certainly, they have the talent to regain that position. But... I still think this is a team with a really good formula. I think they're a very complete football team. I'm more worried about the defense after this game than I am the offense, just because of what we saw from the offense all of last year. I do believe in Goff as a fringe top 10 quarterback right now. I do believe in the running game when Montgomery's out there. I I don't think that the line will get outplayed like this normally. I trust all of that. What I still need to see a bit more of is the defense holding its own against legitimately good offenses. We saw it against the Chiefs in a very wonky week for Kansas City. Then we saw them sort of get shredded by the Seahawks. And then this was the first really good offense that we've seen them face. Last four weeks, they did a good job, but against some pretty shitty offenses. So the Ravens definitely had their way with them in this game. That's really going to be the determining factor on if the Lions are a Super Bowl contender or if they're just a good playoff team. Is is this a legit top 10 defense? I think the jury's still out on that, so maybe this cools down the hype train a little bit, but not all that much. I mean, we both said we thought the 
Ravens were the better team coming into this game. Not 32 points better, but they got outplayed by a really, really good team. We'll see how they respond. I believe in them. I believe in their culture. I believe in their talent. And I think that they're still a top five team in football. All right, let's talk about another one of those teams, Logan. That being the Kansas City Chiefs, who beat up on the bad luck Chargers once again. What did you take away from this game? I don't even know. If it's, is it the bad luck Chargers, or is it just the bad Chargers, man? Um, uh, maybe both. Chargers defense sucks. Mahomes and Kelsey put on an absolute clinic in this game. Mahomes goes for 424, four TDs. Kelsey, in front of Taylor Swift. I don't know if you guys saw it. Taylor Swift was at the game. I don't know if they mentioned T -Swizzle? that. T-Swizzle? Yeah, can you believe it? No. Insane, dude. I, I don't even think they mentioned it on this broadcast. Uh, Kelsey goes for 12, 179 and a TD. Rasheed Rice was eating. Marcus Valdez. I mean, this is classic Mahomes. Just step back, yeah. sling it. Uh, and the Chiefs defense continues to be one of the best in the league. This is the best of the Mahomes era. They allowed some big plays and some big drives early in this game. But, I mean, really, after the midway point of the second quarter, they started clamping up the Chargers. They hold Herbert to 7-16, 100 yards, and two picks in the second half uh, in the total of this game. 17-30, 259 yards, one TD, and those two picks. Uh the interceptions, I mean, a bad overthrow to Keenan Allen. I don't know if it was a miscommunication, too. It didn't really look like Allen was ready for that football, and then he sees it coming in. He doesn't even make a play on it. Uh, the ball bit gets batted at the line of scrimmage for a pick in the red zone. I didn't really think that one was on him. But he almost does get picked a third time, a bad one that the Chiefs defender just drops. Uh, Chiefs put a ton of pressure on Herbert. Uh, he was pressured on 33% of dropbacks. He gets sacked five times. And I don't know if you're going to knock Herbert for this game. I have a lot of the same takes about Josh Allen that I do about Herbert. Again, man, it's an abysmal situation where you're expecting him to elevate a team that's just not there. He's got a great number one receiver like Allen with Diggs. He's got Keenan Allen. And then around him, he doesn't have a great offensive line, doesn't have a great running game, and doesn't have a great defense. So, again, in games where Justin Herbert doesn't play like Superman, it's going to be tough to win football games. When Josh Allen doesn't play like Superman, it's going to be hard to win football games. I just don't think the Chargers team is that good, and I think – we said this last show, Carson, I think this is the best Chiefs team of the Mahomes era, and that's a scary thing to think about. I mean, they've been to five straight AFC title games. Every single year that Mahomes has been the starter at quarterback, the Chiefs, at minimum, have been to the AFC title game, and now you give him what I think is a top 10 to top 5 defense in all of football. That's mm. terrifying. Uh yeah, I don't know, man. I, I The Chargers are just so far away, and the Chiefs are so ready to contend. I know this was a tight game for a while, but this Chiefs defense is insane, dude. It is. And I will say, I think there's a few reasons that Josh Allen is definitely better than Herbert. One of them, though, Josh, these last few weeks, has been unbelievably clutch. And he is one and two, right? But we talked about the slow starts. He went down there on those last two touchdown drives against the Jags and moved the ball with such purpose, was basically just perfect, and unfortunately they were just in too much of a deficit. Last week, terrible start, then has two big touchdown drives against the Giants. This week, puts his team ahead with two minutes to go, multiple big touchdown drives in that second half. Herbert, and I don't really hold this against him, I think it's overstated how much responsibility he bears in these losses. As we've talked about before, the Chargers are not a good football team, but man, 
things certainly never seem to go well for them at the end. And I think we've seen him under pressure. You can't really pinpoint that many spots where it's been like, oh, that's legitimately on him. But Josh is going above and beyond on the other side. Just if we're doing a competition between who's doing a better job of covering up for these very flawed football teams. But the Chargers defense sucks, first of all. They can't cover the middle of the field. They're one of the worst in football at that. And against legitimately good offensive lines, they don't really get pressure. And Herbert didn't play his best again. I mean, he had multiple turnover-worthy plays. And yeah, at the end of the game, you got to do something on second and 24 on this sort of Hail Mary drive, but it was still a bad decision with the football. I don't really have more Chargers takes. Like, unless Herbert consistently plays at this level or lower, I'm not going to drop my view of him because I don't think that the totality of their struggles are on him. I think it's on the fact that, as we talked about, they don't run the ball well. They don't do anything well defensively. They're one of the worst defenses in football, and they're poorly coached. You're at the point where everybody in America would cheer some out of empathy, some out of true joy, that being the seven or eight Chargers fans who are out there. If you fired Brandon Staley... Not only is he bad at his job, you have the results to justify it right now. You're two and four. Everybody would be disappointed by that if you told them before the season through six weeks, you'll be two and four. Just do that. On the flip side, the Chiefs are humming, man. And I think I would actually take them over the Eagles right now. It's pretty marginal between the two of them. But this defense with Mahomes, like you said, we've never seen a defense like this. And this was the first time where that offense has really exploded, has felt like a vintage Chiefs offense. They've been good, but this was a dominant performance. And yeah, it's against a bad defense, but Kelsey dominated. You have the explosive plays to Rice and MVS. Mahomes was incredible. And the defense, very, very clutch in this game. Held a good offense to 17 points, zero in the second half, 42 points on those last four drives. This continues to be one of the best fronts at generating pressure, an elite pass rushing unit. I thought the coverage was really good in this game. That's another thing down the stretch. Herbert didn't have good windows to throw to. Like, dudes were pretty blanketed, and dudes were getting after him. So, this Chiefs team is pretty much as good as they come, and I'm really, really excited to see how they continue to prog progress offensively because I think that's where there's really room for growth. But I have them comfortably above anybody else in the AFC. But a team that you mentioned, Logan, as a contender in the AFC that I think you were higher on than most was the Cleveland Browns, who just escaped with a win in this one today over the Colts. How are you feeling about Cleveland after this one? Man, that was a wild game. And... I got a lot yeah. of flack for that. No, not a lot of people are on the Browns Super Bowl contender train with me. I still feel the same way. I mean, you have an XFL quarterback, man. PJ just like, I like Deshaun. Oh, you're talking about PJ. I thought you were predicting where Deshaun's <laughs> going to be after this year. Maybe CFL, maybe USFL, man. Wow. I mean, yeah, he does stink. And even back today, why are you rushing him back? You're paying him all this money. You're handcuffed. Let him get healthy, guys. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought it was foolish to even trot him out there if he's not at full health. PJ doesn't know what's going on. PJ's going to struggle. Like, he's – I like him. He's got the tools to be successful. I don't know if he can really read a field like that. Uh, and the Browns' defense uh, did not uh, ball like I expected them to in this one. Obviously, the Colts put up 38 in this one. The one thing that they did do was they forced four turnovers, and Miles Garrett is one of the biggest game wreckers in football. You know, I put TJ Watt in a tier of his own as – 
a, really? a game record? He's in a tier of his own, or you think he's better? Won't you let me finish, big dog? <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that TJ Watt was in a tier of his own as this MVP-level game record that can single-handedly swing games from the defensive side. Miles Garrett is there with him, man, and that's just the reality of the situation. Both of these guys put on big-time shows today. Uh, Garrett blocks the field goal. I mean, dude, he's huge. Yeah. 6'5", 280, and he just casually <laughs> jumps Insane. over the line, blocks the kick. They end up turning that into three points. And then in the end zone, Gardner Minshew, who is now four turnovers in this game, has committed seven since taking over for Anthony Richardson that's not good. Um, <laughs> Garrett gets back to him in the end zone, forces that fumble. They get a touchdown out of that. I mean, those are huge plays that, again, those are, I mean, that's a 17-point swing, or excuse me, that's a 13-point swing right there, all in the Browns' favor. And they need some things to go well for them. The Colts receivers have some bad drops that could have ended up in points uh, for them in this game. They need a little help at the end there to get some extra sets of downs so they can get Hunt in the end zone on that fourth down. But... Yeah, I don't know if the Browns are, are contenders. I may have gotten a little overzealous with that, and the only reason I say that, it's not because of this defense. I still believe in this defense, even though they allowed okay. a lot of points today. I believe in JOK. I believe in Anthony Walker. I think Miles Garrett is the second-best edge rusher on the planet. You can argue him as the best. I'm not going to argue with him. It's either him or TJ. They are 1-2. and two. They're 1A, 1B. And I still believe in Newsom, Ward, and Delpit in the secondary. I think the defense is great. But I just cannot trust this offense to do anything, Carson. I mean, Deshaun flat out sucks. He's playing like a bottom 10 QB. PJ is a backup. I don't think we can expect average play out of a healthy Deshaun Watson at this point. That's my big takeaway. When he gets healthy, I don't know, man. I just don't think we can ever expect Deshaun to get back to that level, and I don't know if we can expect him to get back to an average level. That's what's going to hold the Browns back. Not this defense, not the running game, not the offensive line, not the skill talent. It's the quarterback and the quarterback position alone, and it's ironic, Carson, because I think they, if they had held on to Baker Mayfield right now, I think they oh, would wow. be more of a contender. And I know we didn't play a great game today, but I think Baker Mayfield would be a better quarterback at the helm for Cleveland than Deshaun or P.J. Well, he's certainly playing better than either of them right now, and he definitely is just better than P.J., The Deshaun thing, of course, he takes the hit to the head today, but he is supposed to be back for next week. But when he was in there, he was just terrible. He's one of five. He throws a pick. He's played one good game out of the 10 that we've seen since he returned last year. It remains one of the most shocking, abrupt drop-offs that I've ever seen. Like, it might be number one. And, of course, there was almost two years, actually, between when he was last on the field and that abrupt drop-off, but... You can't just put this on rustiness. Like, the dude is making horrible decisions. The pick in this game is just straight up to a Colt. He just throws the ball to a Colt. And regardless of how high you are on this defense, we had a debate over if they were the best in football. I took the Niners. You rode with the Browns. They're not going anywhere with this level of quarterback play. Their combined quarterback stats this year, Logan... 1,174 passing yards, that's through six games, under 200 a game, 56.5% completion rate, 5.6 yards per attempt, four touchdowns to nine interceptions. And you can basically give equal credit to Deshaun and PJ for those numbers. Both of them have been flat out bad. So I don't think they're contenders. I would need to see Deshaun reach a 
a solid quarterback level. At least think he's an average starter, maybe even a little bit better. I'm with you. I really buy on this defense. I'm maybe not quite as high on them as you are. I didn't think they were the best in football, but I do think they're top five. They made big plays in this one, but it was not a good defensive game. They let up 38 points, 456 yards. Garrett just stopped playing on that touchdown to Josh Downs where he was offsides. Free play, but my guy, you still got to try to get a little pressure there. Make them blow the play dead. Better that than to just let up a long touchdown. Horrible tackling on that long Pittman touchdown. The Colts ran all over them for 170 yards. I just need to see a little bit more from that defense against high-level competition. Again, it's like the Niners have proven it. They've proven it for a season and change. We know all the all-pro talents. The Browns are really good. But it's sort of like what we're talking about with the Dolphins offense, maybe even a little bit more so with the Browns defense. Three of their four dominant defensive performances this year have come against the number 27 scoring offense, the number 30 scoring offense, and the number 26 scoring offense. So I still believe in them no matter what. Yeah, shout out to the Steelers. But I need to see more, especially from the quarterback position. But I'm with you on the 1A, 1B point with Miles Garrett and TJ Watt. Garrett has seven and a half sacks, three forced fumbles on the year. TJ's got eight sacks, a pick, two forced fumbles. They're basically locked right next to each other in terms of quarterback hits. Those two are just game-breaking talents of a different tier, and it's pretty cool that they're going at it in the same division, basically the same age. Like They've been doing this for several years now, and they're going to continue to do it at this level for several years. All right, let's just quickly run through the rest of these games. Give me one takeaway from Packers-Broncos, Logan. Packers aren't remotely close to competition, man. It seems like they still got baby gloves on Jordan Love. And he cost the Packers in this football game. I mean, you can't beat the Broncos, dude. You don't score 20 points. It's, what are we doing? I, uh, I picked mm-hmm. the Packers to win the NFC North. I'm fully off them as a playoff team and even remotely close as a contender. I think they've, I think they got to go into this. I, I know we're in the middle of the season here. I think they got to go into the offseason to make some adjustments. And really, I don't know, man. Jordan Love has been really underwhelming uh, through yeah. seven weeks now. I don't know if he's a franchise guy. I don't think he's a franchise guy. That wasn't my expectation. I thought, based on what we had seen coming Mm -hmm. into this year, this is going to be a low-level starter, a guy who bounces around. Maybe you stick with him for a few years, but eventually you say, let's go get the elevator. And he's in thin ice even at that level right now. Like, First of all, his touchdowns in this game, the first one was way behind Romeo Dobbs. He had to make an unbelievable play to fight back to the ball, rip it out of the DB's hands, basically. The second touchdown was even weirder and maybe wasn't as bad of a throw by him, but it was still a little bit too hot. And then it deflects into another receiver's hands. And then on that last pick, it's a desperation situation, third and 20, but he throws to the wrong guy, throws into double coverage when Jaden Reed looked legitimately open, also way downfield, and it wasn't a good ball. So Love hasn't had that catastrophically bad performance. Well, I guess he was pretty bad against the Raiders with the three picks, but there's certainly been no progress since week one. If anything, there's been some regression, and he also hasn't had like a single legitimately good game. And we can judge him as a year one starter, but this is year four in the NFL for Jordan Love. He is one of the most inaccurate throwers of all the starters, 29th in on-target throw percentage. He has the third highest bad throw percentage. That's not good. I don't think he's 
making good decisions with the football on top of that doesn't read the field super well solid athlete but not a real plus difference maker so i think you give him the year but i think the chance that he is your franchise guy legitimately is very slim i mean just not a single standout performance at this point and a downwards trend is very discouraging to me all right what's your one takeaway from giants washington logan call me crazy dude i think tyrod taylor is a better option that was my takeaway right dude i mean i don't know there's a i think there's a different ceiling that the giants can reach with daniel jones because of his physical attributes right on daniel jones's best day i think he Mm -hmm. can be better than tyrod but tyrod's floor is high as hell because he's a smart smart game manager and if your goal is to go out there and win football games this year I think it's Tyrod. Now, I know Daniel did not have Saquon Barkley for some of these games that he's played in, and Saquon was imperative to Tyrod. Honestly, really helpful. I mean, Tyrod's captain check down. He's Alex Smith. He's not going to push the ball downfield, but he's also not going to make a ton of mistakes, and that's why I would rather have Tyrod. He's just way less of a variable at the QB position. You know, I know what I'm getting with Tyrod. It may not be one of the best QBs in the game, but he's solid enough to win you some games, and I just think he's better. So, that's my takeaway, dude. Tyrod Taylor's a better option at QB, and dear God, can we get Sam Howell an offensive lineman? That kid's going to die by week 17. He's not. He's just going to wither away. Yeah. I mean, Howell is getting eaten alive. To be fair, he does also uh, hold on oh, to no, the ball never, really He's never time. thrown a ball away in his career. <laughs> yeah. So it's a healthy combination of the two, but I agree with you on the Tyrod point, dude. I mean, he's accurate. He never turns the ball over. He can extend plays. He's still got solid athleticism. He throws a nice deep ball. The offense has just looked better. Like, yeah, they're not laying down points like crazy, but it's the Giants. They're averaging 336 yards per game with Tyrod. They were averaging 254 with Danny Dimes. And outside of that one second half against the bad Arizona Cardinals, the Giants offense never looked really even competent with Danny Dimes. Like, they had been brutal. And let me just say this. You do not want to have invested $200 million in a dude and then go look and say, you know what, actually Tyrod is better. And of course, that's obvious. You never want to have somebody else on your roster better than your franchise guy. But Tyrod is solid, but he is so frustrating over an extended period of time that he could induce a team that is playing winning football that has playoff aspirations to bench him when fully healthy for Nathan Peterman. And we've seen that. We've been there. Tyrod is still the same guy that he was. So it's not a good sign at all. That Danny Dimes contract is really, really bad. I don't think it's getting better. I think all of your Danny Dimes criticism throughout the offseason was totally justified. He is not the guy, to say the least. And Tyrod's fine. Tyrod's okay. He's not going to lose you football games actively. And sometimes that's better than what you got. All right, speaking of actively lose your football games, how about the Raiders, Logan? Tough loss to the Bears. What was your one takeaway from this? The Raiders are going to be in the worst team in the NFL competition. I mean, that was my take at the start of the year. I'm still with it. They are firmly there. I know you have Brian Hoyer in this game, but damn, man. I mean, they can't run the ball. They can't get the ball reliably to Devontae. He's got a really good first drive in first quarter, and that's it. And shout out Tyson Bajant, man. Um... Looked okay yeah. in this game, but it's the Raiders. So, 
yeah, the Raiders are in that worst team in the NFL competition. I was hoping they'd be able to climb out of it. You know, they'd won a couple games. Jimmy G's there. And maybe with Jimmy G, they won't ever look this poor again. But the rest of the team stinks. It's literally just Jimmy and Devontae. Free Devontae, man. Yeah, I really think that they should. I wish that they would, but I don't think that they will. Shout out to industry plant Tyson Bajant. He was <laughs> solid. He's honestly a little bit more athletic than I thought. He mm-hmm. did make a couple plays out of structure. Because oh, he's, he's, he's a white fella. I don't know why in God's name you would assume that. No, maybe because he played at Shepherd University, which I had never even heard of. But I'm with you. The Raiders are a bottom-tier football team. Their three wins... They scrapped by three teams that have a combined six wins. Like, they came into this game three and three, and on red zone, when things were getting started, Scott Hansen was like, oh, Raiders, maybe a little bit better than you thought, maybe a little bit underrated. Nope. Most fraudulent three and three team ever. They're bad. (laughs) Not that anybody's bought into them, but they're really, really bad. All right, Logan, let's talk a little bit about you Steelers. What was your takeaway from their win over the Rams? The talent issue, the issue on offense is not a talent issue. Uh, Deontay Johnson comes back in this game, and we just we, we finally got a little bit of a rhythm in, in the second half. The first half was abysmal, but Pickett played a really good game. This is one of the better games that I've seen from Kenny. I know he doesn't have a TD in this one, but he's getting the ball to Deontay. He's getting the ball to Pickens. Pickens is a legit number one. He's an athletic freak. Nobody can guard him one-on-one. Get that man the ball. Allen Robinson gets some touches in this game. Fryermuth isn't even out there. Like Warren and Najee get going. To me, it's not an issue of talent. And a lot of this Carson was Kenny Pickett kind of going rogue. I don't know if you saw on this one, man. He was making a lot of adjustments at the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. And so I just don't think it's a talent issue. The other thing that I want to touch on from this game, the NFL has got to clean these calls up. They cannot baffle and blow this game the way they did at the end. Look, It's a new era of football. It's a new era in the sports world where gambling is okay. We are pushing it at the forefront of everybody's faces. Here, go. Uh, Put this parlay down. These are really good odds on this. I like it, right? Because I like like throwing a little bit down on these football games. You cannot have blown calls at the end of games the way they baffled this one. It is a fourth and one to end the game. The Rams have no timeouts. They run a QB sneak with Pickett. Pickett is short. I mean, it's not close. He is a full yard short of getting the uh, game. And they give them a first down. The Steelers kneel out the clock at the end of this football game. The right call should have given the Rams one more possession, two and a half, or like two minutes and 20 seconds on the clock to march down there and to try to get a touchdown to tie this football game up. Look, I'm happy with the outcome of the game. I'm glad the Steelers won. I want the Steelers to win every game. I don't like it when it ends like this, when the refs gift them the game. It just makes you, I don't know, man. You just get to wondering, Carson. You get to wondering about refs' motives. And I don't like to throw out accusations or anything like that, but it just makes you wonder. Kenny Pickett was not close to that first down marker, and they gifted it to him. I don't like when refs obviously blow calls like that. I don't think anybody likes it when refs obviously blow calls. Conspiracy cone hat Logan is out, and it's a, a very honest take given that it's about a call that went in the Steelers' favor. I think you might like my takeaway from this game a little bit more, Logan. I think the Steelers might just stumble their way into the playoffs. No two. I really think no that they two? might. Yeah, maybe you won't be wearing a toupee, and I kind of forgot about that. I hope that this take is wrong, because I would like to see you with some nice waves on that head, but I just look at the rest of the AFC. 
It's not what we thought it would be. The Chargers cannot put it together. The Browns quarterback play has been uh, certainly worse than the Steelers, more mistake prone. And so the offense as a whole can only go so far. The Bengals, I need to see more from. Still a shaky all-around football team to me. I think the Steelers are a better version of the Jets. I think they are more capable offensively. And, I mean, the all-around defenses are definitely on the same level. It does feel like the Steelers have a bit of an edge in terms of just, like, those game-changing plays, the elite defensive playmaking. But for the most part, it's just, I think it's a bit of a steadier ship offensively. A very bad offense, but a bit steadier. So, I mean, like, that's the competition. If you call the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Jags, and the Bills playoff locks, there's still two spots left. And the Steelers are the ones sitting here at 4-2. and two. The Steelers are the ones with the great organizational infrastructure, with the reliable defense that is going to keep them in every game, with the great coaching. I mean, what do you think? Like, as we've said, they're not going to do anything beyond that. They're not going to win a playoff game. But I didn't think that they could get there because this offense is so limited. And now, by process of elimination, they might. I think they could creep in there, man. I mean, I picked the Steelers to win the AFC North when the season started. I still think those are where the last teams are going to come from. If it's Cleveland and Pittsburgh, if it's Cleveland and Cincinnati, if it's Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, those would probably be the two teams that I go with. Or did You didn't mention Cincinnati in that top five, As a right? lock? I don't think they're a lock. They're, no. they're not a lock, but I would probably take Cincinnati and Pittsburgh as my final two playoff teams out there. Wait, so Cleveland's out of it entirely now? This is, I mean, dude, it's the worst quarterback play of any team that's successful, maybe ever. It's like Rex Grossman levels of dragging your team to competence. And as bad as Kenny Pickett is, I'd rather take Kenny Pickett at this point than Deshaun yeah. or PJ. So. The defenses are comparable, and that's, again, the same edge that you give to the Jets. I think the Jets, Browns, and Steelers are all really similar in the fact that they've got these great defenses that are limited. Uh, I probably wouldn't take Pittsburgh. I I don't know. It's it's Cincinnati and one of the other AFC North teams. I don't know who I'd take. I guess it's Pittsburgh because we're getting healthy. We got Deontay Johnson back. That added a little bit of dynamism to our offense. So, yeah, you know what? I'll do it. I don't want to wear a toupee, Carson. I'm going to be frank with you. Yeah, double down. Double down. They're at least in the conversation, and I don't know if that says more about them or if it says more about the AFC underwhelming, but you got to give props to Tomlin, man. I mean, there's no doubt he's a top three coach of this century. Bill is, of course, number one, but him and Andy, they're very close. They do it on opposite sides of the ball, but the consistency with which they have won in different situations, Tomlin obviously had the same quarterback for so long, but different defensive cores that remained elite now, just a bad quarterback play for multiple years, still turning out very competitive football teams that are at least going 500. That dude is incredible. And the fact that there's ever like fire Tomlin movements blows my mind. Like, yes, he should fire Matt Canada, should try to find a more innovative offensive mind. But the dude takes care of business. He takes care of his side of the football. He takes care of the culture. And that has been so, so valuable for so long. All right. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon. Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bucks Falcons, what's your one takeaway, Logan? I'm still uncertain about every QB in this division. Man, come on, Baker! Like, come on, please. Yeah. Let me let me take a victory lap or something. He throws a horrendously ugly interception to Richie Grant. We've been talking about it on the pod for the past couple weeks. It felt like Baker was due for a bad moment or a bad game. That comes back to bite him. And then Desmond Ritter, dude, Desmond, what are you doing? Three fumbles in the red zone. Fumbles on the sack by Shaq Barrett. Fumbles a snap inside the 10. It goes the Bucks' way. And then at the end of the game, I'm going, oh, my gosh, Desmond Ritter has a clutch rushing TD. And then you get the review, Mm -hmm. and Antoine Winfield punches the ball out. I don't think Ritter's a starter. I mean, no. He stinks. And Baker has a really bad guy. This is such a winnable football game, man. Uh, especially when they get, you know, two TDs pretty early in this football game and the Bucks only need to get one more late. Uh, I'm still really uncertain about every single quarterback in this division, and that's how I felt at the start of the year. I would go as far as to say I'm pretty uncertain about who is the best team in yeah. this division. I think they have three very average football teams. And there have been moments where it's like, oh, maybe the Saints have the best defense and quarterback play, and that's going to be the formula for them. And then it's like, eh, Derek Carr's looking pretty rough. Maybe the Bucks have the better defense, and their quarterback's actually playing the best. And then eh, Baker's definitely taking a step back the last couple weeks. 
And the Falcons coming into the year, we looked at and said, okay, they probably have the Mm -hmm. most total talent, both sides of the ball. They're well coached. They can run the hell out of it. They've improved defensively, but they're really bad at quarterback. So they sort of dropped a little bit in the hierarchy just because seeing how limited they were in terms of the ways they could win was concerning. And now they have the best record in this division again. I don't know. (laughs) I don't particularly care because all of them are going to get smacked by anybody in the playoffs. But it really has been... Not Baker, though. Not Baker in the Bucs. No, no, no. Baker will, too. I don't know if I could call it a roller coaster as much as it is sort of like (laughs) stairs, like individual stairs that you're going up and down because there's not very high highs. They're not very low lows, but things are moving around. But an escalator, you're consistently going up. I don't know. The NFC South, like, it really is what we expected. At the start of the year, you know, maybe they were a little bit better. I maybe individually undersold the Bucks a bit. But overall, it's the worst division in football. And you get what you pay for with them. All right, last game, Logan. Seahawks-Cardinals, what's your one takeaway? Seahawks defense is legit, man. And I've been hesitant to, to give them some love here on the pod. Uh, less than 250 yards per game allowed over the last three weeks. Granted, it hasn't been great competition. They beat the Giants, they beat the Bengals, and they beat the Cardinals. But uh, I buy into this, man. It's a great secondary. Diggs, Woolen, Witherspoon. I also like Trey Brown and Julian Love both. I think it's a really, maybe one of the best secondaries in the league. I think they're solid in the middle. Uh, bringing back Bobby Wagner, I think Jordan Brooks has looked okay. And then I like two of their guys up front, and Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed. And it's a really stark difference from the Seahawks team last year, right? That was a team that had a pretty abysmal defense, and the strength of this team was the explosive offense led out by Geno Smith. Now I think the strength of this team is the defense. So that's my big takeaway, man. The Seahawks, I like to call a lot of defenses top 10. They're in that fringe top 10 to top 10 area. I'd have to write out every team to determine it, but I think it's one of the best secondaries in the league, and I really buy into them as a as a great defense. It's a good defense. I don't know if this is the performance to really stamp them just because I think the Cardinals have struggled so much in recent weeks, but I do think it's a legitimately good defense. Uh, Nobody outside of the first two weeks has really moved the ball on them. The Rams and the Lions both did, but since then I would say they've played four good defensive games. But I do remain a bit underwhelmed by them overall because I was so hyped up on Geno's season. And I thought that even though he cooled down as last year went along and he started turning the ball over more, he had seven picks in those last seven games, I thought this is a top 10 quarterback because he has the ability to create out of structure, he's a good athlete, he can make big time throws, and he's not going to have too many of those back-breaking mistakes. And he really carried that offense last year to really, really strong production. We just haven't seen the great game from him. We've seen the moments of creation There's been some bright spots, but he has just a mind-blowingly dumb interception in this game. He's had a few too many turnovers in recent weeks, and the offense just hasn't produced really at a high level. They come into this game and, uh, well, over the last couple weeks, I should say, they were underwhelming against the Giants. They were underwhelming against the Bengals. Now they're underwhelming again in this game. I want to see Geno look more like he did last year. I want the Seahawks to really separate themselves from the other wildcard teams in the NFC Mm -hmm. because I do think they have the talent to do so. For sure. And, I mean, DK Metcalf is out of this game, so maybe this isn't the one that we rag on uh, Geno too much. I thought he did good with— It's more the trend. No, for sure. For for sure. Geno has not looked 
he was definitively top 10 last season. He has not looked yeah. anything close to that this year. I'm with you, uh, but I liked that they got JSN going a little bit. Jake Bobo yeah. had a really nice catch in this one, too. Shout out both of those guys. Uh, but, yeah, and if the Seahawks can do that, man, I mean, they're – I still think they're right there in that second tier or third tier of NFC teams, but it would take them up a notch if they could be reliable offensively. Agreed. And I thought that that was going to be the strength of the team, and then defensively they were just going to progress a lot. They had a really good offseason, but coming from a pretty low place, but the defense has been better so far. I think that they're still solidly a playoff team in an NFC because the back end of – that playoff race is still a little bit weaker to me, but I want to see Geno, man. He wrote, they wrote him off. He didn't write back. I would like him to continue to not write back. All right. That's going to do it for us here today, guys. Hope you enjoyed the football and hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, the good news is there's plenty more nerd slash content and you can find all of our full length shows at the volume YouTube page with video. You can also listen to the podcast across audio platforms. And if you enjoyed, please give us a rate and review. Why not? It would be nice. You can also follow us across social, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. And you can join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios. If you want to talk NFL, NBA, just be part of our community there. You can also get our merch at thevolume.com. We've got hats. I'm wearing one. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. We got the flags behind us. So you can check all of that out at thevolume.com or also at our link tree. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.